You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to episode three of Not Another Leafs podcast. Ken Stapon joined by Brendan McCarthy after a disappointing 3 nothing result in game five, leading to the elimination of the Toronto Maple Leafs from the 2020 Stanley Cup playoffs at the hands of the Columbus Blue Jackets. <sighs> That's all you can really do after that one, right? I mean, I thought that the Leafs were the better team tonight and surely deserved a better result. Kenny, somewhere Mike Babcock is sipping his whiskey on the rocks and just kind of that little patented Mike Babcock grin. You're right. They were the better team, and I thought they had a a great game despite the score. But really, it just comes down to them lacking intensity and will. They truly show up in desperate times and never in pivotal defining times. And this was an opportunity to really – show that they can compete with the top dogs and it would have been a turning point for this franchise because what a fantastic historic game in game four and that's all washed away now they fell victim to the jackets blue collar stringent style of play once again tonight i felt as if the maple Leafs actually controlled the game the whole game i thought that columbus had a not too many great scoring opportunities to be quite frank uh, i mean they ended up getting a couple goals you know the first one Obviously, the deflection in front, nothing you can really do about that one. Can't blame Freddie. That second goal, though, my goodness, does Anderson have to have that one? It's sort of the weird shot from the corner. They're able to squeeze it in five-hole. It's Liam Foodie, his first-ever career goal. Toronto, he gets Ontario, it in the elimination too. game. My goodness. I'm not here to berate Frederick Anderson because I think that he was, by my estimation, one of the better players throughout the whole series for the Toronto Maple Leafs. But at some point in time, you're going to have to come up with a big save or even just keep the score even at that point. Just keep it as a one-goal game, and then your team is within striking distance because I really feel that after that second one win, it just lets all the air out of the balloon, takes the wind out of the sails, whatever you want to say. And it just seems so much more monumental, especially when you have a goaltender on the other end in Neonis Corpasalo, who was unbeatable tonight. I was just looking up his contract once again. They signed him to a two-year, just north of five-and-a-half mail back in April. And, man, is he uh, living up to that contract right now. I thought Corpus Allo was the best player in this series. He was fantastic and so poised in net, Kenny. I mean, it's so daunting on paper, this Maple Leafs offense. And Corpus Allo tonight was trusted by his coach in game one to start. 
and a finish, and he showed up big time. It makes you wonder if Merz Lincolns weren't injured, what would have happened? Because I expect that John Tortorella probably would have gone back with him in game five. Maybe not after the collapse at the end of game four. Who knows? I guess it's just a mood point. But he goes back to the guy who got the start in games one and two, and he was really able to shut the door tonight. The series as a whole, the last time we recorded was obviously a week ago after game one. So there's a little bit of ground to cover here. Uh, I don't really want to get into necessarily the season in its entirety yet. We can do that in the next episode. When we look at this series in particular, game two, I thought was an excellent, excellent game by the Toronto Maple Leafs. They showed up to play. They were dominant. They really put their stamp of hockey on the Columbus Blue Jackets and were able to control the pace. And that's what we've expected to see out of this team. The offense being able to carry and dominate a defensive-oriented team at times like Columbus, I really thought there were polar opposites between game one and two where Columbus sort of was able to control the play and you know shut it down in game one, and the Leafs just skated all over them in game two. One excellent game for the Leafs, and that was game two. They had another chance to replicate that in game three and blew it. Yeah. Th- this team cannot hold leads, and if you want to be able it's to – It's a calling card for them at this point. Absolutely. If you want to have a chance against Washington, Boston, Tampa, you have to put those games away. And if teams like Columbus, a team that has no star power, is able to come back and sneak one out, it's embarrassing and it's unacceptable. Yeah, I think that you have to beat Columbus in this series. I mean, there's no question on paper who the more talented team is. And, you know, caps off to the Jackets as they were able to come back in game three. They sort of blew it in game four. I didn't even think we were heading to game five after that monumental comeback. But as you pointed out earlier, it's all for naught now. It doesn't matter. It was just erased because they weren't able to close it out and advance to the next round. I was scratching my head tonight with Sheldon Keefe's decision to play Janssen over Nick Robertson because Janssen hasn't played since February 13th. He hasn't had a chance to scrimmage a whole lot and Robertson still you know he's had a couple games now in the playing series still fresh might have been nice to see Robertson in, in instead of Janssen it's it's the final game a lot of pressure on Janssen not really acclimated with his you know you know if you're not playing for six months you're going to be rusty he didn't have legs and he was invisible listen I thought tonight I mean we can nitpick about third line wingers I didn't think that starting Janssen over Robertson was, you know, a bad decision by Sheldon Keefe. He obviously wanted to go with the more experienced player, a guy who he's familiar with, who he coached on the Marlies, won a Calder Cup with, with the Marlies. He has a lot of faith in this guy and understands what he brings to the table. And he certainly wouldn't have started him if he didn't think that Janssen was up to speed or going to be able to keep up with the NHL game. Let's not forget that although – he hasn't played since, I don't know when the injury was off the top of my early, head. Early February. February. So even though he hasn't played since February, the majority of them haven't played since March anyways. So it's not as if you know everybody else was playing this whole time and then Janssen's coming back into it. It's at the same time, he was still skating with the team, still practicing with the team. And like I said, I mean, we can talk about the Maple Leafs effort and not being able to close it out. And certainly game three was an opportunity for them to do that. But tonight, I thought that the big guys played an excellent, excellent game. I thought they dominated possession. And at times, when he put Sheldon Keefe, that is, when he put Matthews, Marner, and Tavares on the ice, it seems like the Leafs were on the power play the whole time that 
they were in Columbus's zone. They were snapping the pucks around. They were getting good looks on net, shots from down low and high probability scoring areas. It just they weren't able to beat the netminder tonight. And I don't think that's an indictment on the team or is to say, you know, it doesn't work, blow it up or trade one of the big four. But I do think that now moving forward, they're going to have probably one more year together to prove that they can get it done in the playoffs before they're going to have to shake something up. The top guns, you would think, would have a ton of jump right out of the gate. Yes, they had a solid game. But again, the Leafs come up scoreless, and that's who you're going to rely on. $33 million combined between Marner Matthews and Tavares. Tavares has got to put that puck in the net in the first period off the post. You could put that in. Yeah, but if that's you hit a, the that's, post, that's, you're really going to blame the guy for hitting a post and not hitting the net. It is what that's it a is. Wide, this guy that's has a wide scored open almost 50 net. goals. This guy is a guy that a year ago scored almost 50 goals for this team. It's like he was a little bit snake bitten this year, granted. But I don't think that you know facing a hot goaltender in an elimination game is any fault of those guys. I thought they had tremendous scoring opportunities all night. Tavares in particular. Would you have liked to see him pop a couple of them? Of course. But I'm not going to go back and say, oh, you know what, this is all on them because I thought that they did perform. I thought that Matthews had some great opportunities, one-timers from the wing there where he was able to get good looks on the net and Corpus Allo was there. They obviously had the odd man rush where Janssen shot it and you know Corpus Allo again sliding across the crease is able to get a piece of it. And it's a cliche in a sense because everybody always says that it comes down to goaltending in the playoffs, but how many times have we seen this before? A guy comes in, is able to shut the door on a more talented team on the other side. It happens, it seems like, to one or two teams every year. The Maple Leafs were just on the wrong end of that this year. But they shouldn't have had this much trouble against the Blue Jackets team. I mean, even if they won this game, Columbus took such a big chunk out of them. Who knows if they would have been ready to play Tampa. The Jackets' best player during the regular season was, was Oliver Bjorkstrand. Obviously, it changed a little bit. Atkinson and Dubois stepped up big time. Felino was a big physical presence. They danced to Tortorella's tune all series, Kenny. It simply put, the top the top guns weren't their top guns. I don't care. You have one. You have one good game, staving off elimination. You have one good game. Could have been a pinnacle game, turning point in their history. The top guns got to come out firing to finish it and close it, and they failed. And now Freddie Anderson and, and the team, the core of the team, is 0-4 in the postseason. Yeah, you can call it failure, and they lost the series, so it is what it is. Obviously, the numbers weren't necessarily there. But this is a Columbus team that weren't pushovers. We talked about before the beginning of the series. I mean, look what they did to Tampa Bay just a year ago, and I think everybody would agree that Tampa Bay was a far better team than the Maple Leafs were last year or this year, and they were able to sweep them. So Toronto is at least push them to five games. Now, at the end of the day, do they are they going to have to win one of these series? Yes, or it's going to be Kyle Dubas's job, it's going to be Sheldon Keefe's job, and it's going to be these core who really enjoy each other's company and playing on the same team are going to get sh- broken up and shift out for other pieces to bolster areas of their team so that they can have success. So at the end of the day, obviously the big guns didn't come through with the numbers that you would have expected in every game, but I don't think that you can hang this game tonight on their shoulders because I thought that they dominated the play and deserved a far better result. I mean, I don't want to get too far into advanced analytics, but the Corsi numbers for the Maple Leafs, especially in the third period, I mean, they were killing Columbus in that category. This is an experienced coach out-dueling, out-working a young coach. 
and it's back to the drawing board. This is going to be a, a very different off season for the Leafs. And I know you don't want to get into contracts just yet. We'll save that for a future episode, but truly on paper, Kenny, especially on their back end, remember they lost Barry in the third period. It's going to change drastically. And this was probably the, the ideal team to make a deep run with. And it, it's going to, it's going to change come December. Yeah, well, for sure, you're going to lose a couple of players. Barry's out, CeCe's out on that back end. You figure Sandine will probably slot in to the similar spot. He plays a similar role to Tyson Barry, a mobile defenseman, young, up-and-comer, skates really well, has good sense with the puck. So you figure that he's going to slot in in one of those spots. And then you have to figure out how to allot the cap money to fill the other spot. I say the defense is going to be the biggest area of concern. And it's been the biggest area of concern. It seems like every year for the last five, six, seven years, it's the Maple Leafs defense. That's the topic of conversation in the offseason. I don't think it's going to be any different heading into this offseason either, especially after the blown leads and the inability to hold a lead after, especially if you're up two or three goals, you have to be able to close out a game. Biggest takeaways at the end of the day in the series overall was complacency for the Leafs and lack of determination to get it done. Yeah, I, I could see that. And I feel like a lot of Maple Leaf fans will feel similarly to the way that you do. Uh, for me, it's a lot on this is going to be hung on Frederick Anderson at fairly or unfairly. We talked about this earlier that the results of this playoff run were going to be extremely consequential when looking at whether the Maple Leafs are going to extend this guy because he hasn't been able to come up with the big save in the big game to either keep them within one goal or keep them up one goal and close out a game late. I mean, I thought that he had some tremendous saves in regulation to keep it at one nothing, but then that late in the third period, you can't let that one squeeze through the five hole at that point in the game. You know, Toronto was pushing. I thought they had a, a number of good opportunities to tie it late. And that just took the wind straight out of their sails when that one goes in. It's a real kick to the crotch. And Frederick Anderson needs to have a hell of a season next year if he thinks that he's going to get extended and going to be the guy that's going to take them to the promised land and get a raise. He's going to need to have a hell of a season next year. And they're going to certainly need to get out of the first round. I thought Nylander was the worst player on the ice tonight. I know we were talking during the game about how he had to shift into the centerman role because they went with the all-star line. But Kenny... The amount of times he's had to switch over and, and into the center position. Yep. I mean, when he was playing with the Marlies, he was groomed to be a centerman. So in terms of missing assignments and missing coverage, it shouldn't be so new to him. And I, I thought he just was sloppy. He was turning pucks over. He didn't really display any of that skillful tenaciousness. It, it was really, really a poor game for William Nylander. This guy is a polarizing player on this team. By my estimation, the most polarizing player on this team. The boomers hate him. The younger generation seems to love him. There's a parade on Twitter every time this guy scores a goal. If you look at the Maple Leafs Twitter followers, it's like everybody's celebrating every time he does something good. I'm with you tonight. I didn't think that his game was very impressive at all. Certainly defensively, he left a ton to be desired for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And as you said, this is a guy who's familiar with the center position. He shouldn't have been skating around like he didn't know his own ass from a hole in the ground. Like you said, I thought his defensive <laughs> coverages were awful. I thought that he wasn't really creating offensively. He just looked uncomfortable. And I understand that this is a tough position to be put into when you've been playing winger all year. And then all of a sudden you're slotting into the C2 spot and expecting to create. 
but they, he didn't get it done for me tonight. I wasn't impressed with this game at all. And this was another player that we had circled coming into the series. You had him circled certainly as being the X factor for this Toronto Maple Leafs team. And he didn't get it done tonight. Another X factor I had was Eli Mikheyev, who was yeah, also we talked about him in this lot. series. He was yeah, and I think a lot of people were high on uh, Mikheyev after an MVP scrimmage prior to the play-in series. He had the one chance, the deflection off the crossbar in this game. But other than that, Elian Mikheyev is supposed to be a solid power forward in the top six, and he didn't show up at all. No, and I would still think that the Toronto Maple Leafs will probably try to keep this guy around to re-sign him for next season. I'm not sure what the dollars will be on that or how they're going to manage that. But again, no cap talk. We'll save the off-season talk for another day. Uh, that could be a podcast name right there, no cap talk. No cap talk. <laughs> cap talk with the Toronto Maple Leafs is, seems to be the favorite topic of conversation among other fan bases is how terribly allocated the, the Maple Leafs salaries are. When, when you, <laughs> but, but man, it's like this is just as, as grassroots, such a disappointing result. And like, I don't really have a whole lot else to say about it. I mean, it's the same team, you know, four years ago when they sort of, it was off the rebuilds, they drafted Austin Matthews and they made the playoffs with the first year that he joined the team and they lost in six games to the Washington Capitals and they were never even supposed to be there. Everyone was thinking, oh yeah, this is great. And I remember a tweet from Chris Johnson vividly after that moment saying, enjoy this Maple Leaf fans because this is the only time that this is going to be this authentic and this genuine, and you're going to be happy about the fact that your team just made it in. Because after this season, there's going to be expectations and they're going to continue to build. That's where we're at with this team now is they're getting the reputation of being underachievers, whether that's fair or unfair. They're going to need to figure out their identity coming into next season because I thought at times this year, they just simply didn't have one. And when the big guys aren't clicking, you have to have something else in your pocket. We hear Jeff O'Neill talk about it all the time on TSN 1050 on Overdrive at our station. If you don't have tools in your toolbox to, to reach into and you utilize, if the offense isn't going, you're going to be in big trouble. And that's something that the Maple Leafs haven't had the ability to do. They're going to need to learn how to do if they're going to expect to win more games against high-level competition. There has been some great moments in Leaf history. 93, Nikolai Borshevsky, Game 7, OT winner against the Red Wings. 02, Sundin's equalizer against the Canes to force Game 6, ultimately losing. And then the Leafs' last playoff series win in 2004 against the Senators in seven games. This year had the potential to be up there. And once again, this young, greedy team led us on. It's like texting somebody, Kenny, and seeing the little ellipses show up, and you're waiting, <laughs> you're waiting. You're like, something's disappear. cooking, something's cooking, and then it's gone. Yeah, you just sit there for like <laughs> minutes. You, you know, you start dating somebody new and you're wondering whether you should text back or not or they just leave you on red. Even worse. You they said, left us on red, man. They, they left us on red big time in this series. It was a total troll job. When you look at this series against Columbus, what's the biggest lesson that the Toronto Maple Leafs need to take out of this loss to continue to grow as a group next season? Because obviously experiences like this can be difficult but the good teams all go through them at a certain point in time. The idea is, is that it'll make you stronger. I think each player, especially their top guns, Matthew Marner and Nylander, got to look, look themselves in the mirror and go, 
this isn't one of those seasons where, like you mentioned, alluded to before the 16, 17, oh, it was unexpected. Like, you know, this is four years ago next year. Okay, well, you're four years in now. The fourth year, you should be at least making the second round. They have to look themselves in the mirror this offseason and go, I am playing on a mammoth contract that I held out for. I know my potential. I know my strengths. They have to start playing like a contending team because right now they cycle the puck well, Kenny, but they're, I don't feel that they're playing in a cohesive unit. And, and that's, that's really glaring. And a, a team that is going to crush you when you play selfish hockey is, like a, is a team like Columbus or St. Louis. And if the Leafs want to be like a St. Louis team, then they got to they gotta stop being selfish. I'm glad you brought up the word potential because this has always been a hot topic of conversation for me. I hate the word potential because generally when people use it, it's in a context saying, oh, what happens? You know, that person had so much potential and it's unrealized is what potential means. Or usually when people are talking about it, it's unrealized talent. It's unrealized unre- ability it's unrealized potential and that's what the maple leafs are right now it's like they have the potential to do something great but they haven't been able to realize it and they're at a certain point you know the rubber is going to hit the road with this group as we were talking about before and they're going to have to start moving some pieces around and it's like i don't know who those pieces are going to be you figure that matthews is here to stay and Tavares has a no movement clause so those two guys aren't going anywhere I'm not suggesting that they should be trading any of the other two players on the big contracts, but I'm saying that if you're going to start moving players from somewhere, Tavares and Matthews are here. Marner and Nylander are the two guys who I think would be closer to being on the chopping block, and they need to start performing in the big games if they want to be sticking around here because, quite simply, MLSE is not going to stand for perpetual first-round exits out of the playoffs it's unacceptable for an original six franchise and it's unacceptable after the way that this group has been created to perform at a high level and just simply haven't been able to do it all right let's get to the three stars for the series and now it's time for the three stars shooting stars three stars i have an idea that probably We'll have similar ideologies on this one as well. Uh, for me, let's start with number three. Uh, I'd like the series from the captain of the Columbus Blue Jackets, Nick Foligno. I thought that he was a leader on the ice in the big moments when he had to be. Obviously, he had the moment in game four where he took the pet late penalty leading to Matthew's goal to seal that one away. But I think that this guy is just a gamer. He's a baller. He's a locker room guy. He gets his group up and ready to play. And that's the sort of stuff that you can't teach. And that's why the Columbus Blue Jackets were able to win this series. Felino willed his team to keep performing and keep grinding against a more talented opposition on the other side and get the win in the series. My third star would be Zach Hyman of the Toronto Maple Leafs. I thought he was outstanding in every game. Typical Zach Hyman play. You know, kind of goes unnoticed sometimes. Obviously not flashy, but he kept he kept his team in it physically and of course came up clutch when he doesn't usually have to in a really key game four staving off elimination game. That's my only leaf though. 
yeah, Hyman, I thought, had a good series, so I don't have a problem with him being there. There's a reason that Mike Babcock loved this guy so much. There's a reason that Sheldon Keefe loves this guy so much. He wins the one-on-one puck battles and goes into the gritty areas all the time. He's one of the few lead forwards who's willing to do that, and it's essential for this team to have success, to have work, work, little worker bees like Zach Hyman who are going to do the dirty work so the big guys can get the milk and honey in front of the net and put up their 100-point seasons. For the second star for me, same trick for me as the last podcast. It was Wierenski and Jones for me, the pairing. I thought that they were outstanding this whole series. They were giving fits to the Maple Leafs' top players. Wierenski obviously was quintessential on a number of the Columbus Blue Jackets' goals, including the first one tonight. He got the credit for it, shot it through traffic, sort of a seeing-eye shot, and it deflects off Barry going into the net. Jones, what else can you say about this guy? We highlighted him before, and we're going to highlight him again. There is no doubt in my mind that this guy is going to win Norris trophies as the best defenseman in the NHL. You saw his ability to skate. You saw his ability to move the puck. And you, more importantly, you saw his ability to play one-on-one defense with the big guns on the Toronto Maple Leafs and keep them off the score sheet. This is the kind of guy that Toronto would love to get their hands on but you can't get a piece like Jones unless you're willing to part with something of high value yourself. And they're going to need to figure that out because it seems like in the playoffs, a lot of the teams that go on deep runs have that bona fide number one shutdown guy or shutdown pairing. And Toronto doesn't have that. Wierenski and Jones, I thought were the best players on the jackets in this series outside of the goaltender who we'll get to in a moment. No surprises there, but they're the second star for me. I thought Wierenski and Jones were fantastic and did such an effective job of shutting down Matthews in particular, just driving him mental. But since you said those two guys, I'm going to have to go with Pierre-Luc Dubois because you love love individual comeback stories. Here's a guy who just gets torn into on the bench. John Tortorella, absolutely irate. Would love to hear a mic'd up version of that. Comes back, just a thorn in Matthews. Remember, third overall pick in 2016. Gets a hat trick. Message received. Next to Atkinson, he was probably the most offensively gifted player in this series. That's my second star. Number one, I have a feeling that we're going to be on the same page. Probably. Uh, yeah, it's got to be the Columbus goaltender, Jonas Corposalo. I thought that he was outstanding in game one, outstanding in game five. Even in game two, I thought they played very well for the majority. Really the only time that they had the chink in his armor was in that game three where it gave up the three goals and was swapped out for Merz Lincolns. I mean, this guy was outstanding for Columbus in this series. He's really solidified himself in my mind as being the number one goalie for this team moving forward. And he was the reason quite simply tonight that the Toronto Maple Leafs didn't win this series. I thought that there was probably about 10 opportunities for the Maple Leafs to legitimately score goals. Like, they could have scored on any of them, and he stopped them all. He was outstanding tonight, and for me, he's the first star overall in the series. I have to agree with you there. Corpus Allo is the first star of the series. Just so calm, so cool and collected in the crease against a lethal offense in the Maple Leafs. And only a two-year deal, recently inked to a two-year deal back in April. You know, this is a good reward, good motivation for for Corpus Allo to obtain a long-term deal. And this is voting pretty well for the for the Columbus netminder. No doubt. I mean, this is the sort of series that you put your stamp, I've arrived in the league. 
It's his first playoff series. You know, obviously Bobrovsky was the guy who was getting the nod for the majority of the starts in net. I should say it was his first playoff series where he got the majority of the starts because he was on the bench just watching Bob do his thing for Columbus for the last several years. And I thought he was outstanding for the Columbus Blue Jackets. So hats off to him. Sometimes you run into the hot goalie and there's nothing you can do about it. BMAC, in a broader sense, when we look at this so-called, everybody's calling it the COVID Cup, in this playoff run, a number of the favorite teams have been eliminated in the first round, which I would argue is bad for the sport. How will this playoff play-in round and this Stanley Cup playoffs be remembered? It certainly seems like it's going to be bad for the league when you have the Toronto Maple Leafs and Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and all that star power. You have the Pittsburgh Penguins without Crosby, Malkin. They're not in it anymore. And then you have the Edmonton Oilers and Connor McDavid, the best player in the world, all out in the play play-in round. I mean, that's and, not good for the sport. And now Edmonton and Pittsburgh could add a piece like Alexi Lafreniere. And Toronto. And Toronto, 12.5% chance of landing Lafreniere. Can you imagine the shit show if one of those three teams gets this guy? I mean, and when you think about it, if you add up their, all their percentages together, it's about 37.5%. So about just over a one in three shot that one of those three teams will land him. I mean, as a fan of the team, you love it. As a fan of the sport, there would be nothing more annoying in the world than seeing a player of Lafreniere's talent and what people expect him to be. I know a lot of NHL scouts say that he could be a top 10 player in the league, not necessarily that transcendental talent that you know McDavid or Matthews or Crosby was, but a, he could be a really effective player in this league for a long time. And it would really be stacking the deck against the rest of the league if one of these three teams is able to get him. It would be similar to a a Golden State super team. I mean, Crosby, Malkin, Lafreniere, McDavid, Dreisaitl, Lafreniere, like it, it, they're just going to give the entire league headaches. Here's my thought process on this whole thing. You know, when you let another eight teams into the playoffs, that's eight teams or there's a number of teams that were comfortable in their playoff spots and they would have easily been in the top 16. Pittsburgh, I look as being one of those teams. Edmonton was one of those teams. And they're sitting there and then they are told or the thing that's brought up to them is that they're going to have a play-in round, a best-of-five series, against a team that was so far back, likely they were never even going to make the playoffs. Like the Habs, big sellers at the deadline. The Hawks, way down in the central division. And now all of a sudden these teams are coming in after four months rest to play a best-of-five series. Now to me, the teams that are were already more bona fide need something to come away with where they can say, okay, you know, we'll throw our hat into the ring for that. For me, that was the chance to draft Alexi Lafreniere if for some reason they were going to get eliminated. And let's not forget, everybody signed off on this. All the teams agreed that this is how they were going to do it. There was going to be a lottery ball and that, that there was this percent chance that one of these other teams could end up with number one. And nobody complained when it was Ottawa sitting with whatever the hell it was, 37% chance of getting number one, and Detroit has 20% chance, and you know all these teams that are in the dumps have a high percentage chance. But then all of a sudden when the unthinkable happens and one of the other balls, now all of a sudden everybody complains. For me, this is just a product of the system. Everybody agreed on it, and you can't get upset about it now in hindsight saying that they should have done it differently. 
just because you're unhappy with the way that things are panning out and that some of these teams who probably should have easily been into a seven-game series and still playing hockey right now are packing their bags and hitting the golf courses early. I think people are probably going to look back on this season and not take it seriously. It's like, well, given the circumstances we were in, this is what led to that. And if it was, and if it was the traditional format, we would have all the right teams, all the right matchups, you know, facing off against each other. But yeah. this, is, this is not the case. And you brought up teams agreeing to the format. Carolina and Tampa, the two, two teams that rejected it, are now in the round of 16. Carolina, of course, sweeping the Rangers in the play-in round. So clearly, they're doing okay with the format now. I don't, I don't think you can put an asterisk on the 2020 Cup winner, but I don't think people will really take this. I mean, un- unless your team wins the Cup, you're not taking the season and playoff format seriously. And that's kind of how I felt with the Maple Leafs. If they were able to beat, win this series with Columbus, everybody would say, oh, you know, it's a five-game series. It's the COVID Cup. It doesn't actually yeah. count as a series. But if they lost the series, everybody's saying, look, the Maple Leafs can't win again in the postseason. They stink. They aren't pressure guys, yada, yada, yada. So there's really no winning in this circumstance. And I totally agree with you. Whoever wins the Cup, I mean, to me, you're going to be the Cup champions. To them, they're going to be the Cup champions. They won't care at all what anybody else outside is saying. And every other fan base outside is going to say, it doesn't really count, especially depending on who wins. Like if Montreal wins the Cup, 0% chance that either of us are calling it legitimate. (laughs) Exactly. If Carey Price, if they win the Cup because Carey Price had four months off and now is looking like the best goaltender in the league again, no chance. It's funny because the joke was, I think Ross, Ross Levitan, one of our colleagues, was saying, you know, I'd tell Price to stay home, just get swept, go for Lafreniere. Imagine that centerpiece, but kudos to the Habs, man. A 12 seed, major upset, a lot of upsets in, in the playing round. I'm looking forward to the round of 16, Kenny. Yeah, and we'll see what happens. I mean, eventually this team is going to have to learn from its shortcomings and grow as a unit and as an organization. We'll see what lessons they're able to take away after this crushing playoff defeat, but the sun will come up tomorrow and there'll be a great round of 16. So a lot of good hockey to look forward to. I'm for, I'm for sure as well, looking forward to the conclusion of the Stanley cup playoffs, BMAC, which matchup are you looking at in the next round? That's really caught your eye. I like Carolina, Boston rematch from last year and recency bias, but Columbus and Tampa, Tampa's going to be shaking in their boots, man. 19 players remain from the uh, sweep last year. Columbus is hot. They just took down a lethal offense. Tampa plays a similar style based on speed and skill. That's going to be fun to watch. I'm, I'm keeping an eye on that one in particular. Tampa a little bit beat up right now, too, so it could be a little bit of trouble for the Bolts. I would expect that it's not going to be a sweep this time around as Tampa Bay won't be looking past Columbus. I'm with you, though. The Canes... Bruins, for me, is a huge series. I think that Carolina has shown that they've grown as a group this year. One of the best decors in the league, by my estimation. They can move the puck. They can shut it down. They're quick. They got some nice star power up front with Sebastian Ajo and Svechnikov, who's really developing into one of the most lethal one of the most lethal wingers in the league. There's a lot to love about this Carolina group. How about out west? You see one of the favorites making it all the way through there, or you sniff some upsets? 
I was really, really impressed with the Canucks in the play-in series. And they're a young, fun, vibrant group. They're playing the defending champs, St. Louis Blues. You know what, Kenny? I'm taking the Canucks over the Blues. Is that just Canadian bias, BMAC? Or you, you think that the cup champs, defending cup champs, I should say, are going down? I think the Canucks, led by Besser, Pedersen, Hughes, who had an outstanding play-in series. He's a stud up for Calder this year. I, I'm, I'm saying Canucks over the defending cup champs. There's your hot take. Out of the West, I love the Colorado Avalanche right now. I think that they're playing complete hockey, a really nice team game. Added Nazem Kadri, who is a big fan favorite here in Toronto because of the grit and determination he can bring. You obviously know with the power they have up front with McKinnon, Landis Cog and Rantanen. Kale McCarr is a bona fide threat on the back end, you know, only in his rookie season. But this guy plays like he's been in the league for five years, just so calm and composed. He's got the offensive pedigree. I think there's a lot to like about this Colorado Avalanche team. For me, they're the favorite coming out of the West. And let's not forget the NHL draft lottery concludes tomorrow bmac i know you'll be watching it we'll be watching as well and depending on the outcome we might be recording again tomorrow night with good news or bad news we'll see how it goes look around next week as we'll be coming out with our recap of the toronto maple leafs 2019 2020 season and then we can get into the off-season stuff the cap stuff that we hate so much we'll get into all that yeah we'll get into all of that coming up Thanks again for listening to Not Another Leafs Podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm Ken Stapon, at Ken Stapon on Twitter, joined by Brendan McCarthy. BMAC, what's your Twitter handle? BMCarthy95. At BMCarthy95. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next week.